Support for the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming and champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. As always, whoever manscapes before the games has the best performance. So, Matt Wiltsey, who do you think manscaped today in Real Madrid's win over Elche? Well, it seems our Brazilians know how important it is to use their manscape and to the importance of male grooming. And Vinicius Jr. and Eder Militao today were fantastic. And that's because they continue to use their manscape tools and products. So... Congrats to Eder Militao and Vinicius Jr. Keep it up, guys. Listeners get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by Royal Sonesta, Washington, D.C., which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see us for the Managing Madrid podcast live in Washington, D.C., Myself, Kian Sobani, Om Arvid, and Gabe Lesser will all be there in March. The link to buy those tickets are in the show notes. And make sure you get in before the early bird price ends and you have to pay more. So all in the show notes. Also, thanks to Toronto who came out and made the El Clasico podcast an absolute banger. It was a pleasure meeting you all. Thank you so much. Next up is in Dallas in November on Saturday, November 20th. Myself and Matt Wiltsey will be there. So... That's creeping up. You really want to book your spot ASAP. We'll have the venue announced in the next three days or so. So stay tuned for that. Uh, So Dallas, November. New York City in December. Miami in January. London in February. Washington, D.C. in March. Chicago in April. And Mumbai in May. All of those cities are in the show notes. Book your your tickets and um, do it quickly because these bars fill up fast. And we actually had to cap it in Toronto and we had to stop ticket sales. We don't want that to happen to you. So get in early and get in an early bird price. It helps everyone. It helps you because you pay less. It helps us because we know logistics with how many people are coming. It's a, it's a win-win all around. So do it ASAP. Also, the Royal Sonesta, Washington, D.C., DuPont Circle. They have over 10,000 square feet of flexible meeting and event space. Innovative catering menus from their beloved Certo restaurant and state-of-the-art audio-visual capabilities. So look no further than their modern Washington, D.C. hotel for your next event. From intimate meetings and corporate events to gala dinners and wedding receptions, they'll ensure a flawless, unique event that's true to impress. Coming up is the post-game podcast for Real Madrid's win over Elche. We'll get right to it. That's hosted by myself, Keon Sabani, and Matt Wiltsey. Enjoy. Modric, qué buena pelota, Vinicius, 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 golazo, gol, 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 Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is 
your host Kian Sobani, joined by Matt Wilty today after Real Madrid go and beat Elche 2-1 with some scares and probably was a little bit more uncomfortable than it should have been because Real Madrid did not defend well. They did not really have full control of this game offensively, even after going up a man with Elche's red card. So uh, we're going to hear, we're, we're here to break it down. We'll break it all down and we'll discuss, you know, some of the tactical wrinkles and and other stuff, including Carlo Ancelotti's interesting post-game quotes and everything in between. Um, as, you know, just a, a housekeeping note, if you've listened to the last couple podcasts over on patreon.com slash you will know that I do not have my mic with me temporarily, so drop an audio quality. I apologize about that. I hope it's not too bad in your ears, um, but that is a temporary problem and it should be fixed by next week. So let's break this down. Matt, how you doing, my friend? Did you enjoy that game? Hey, Keon. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It was, um, at first, like the opening 20 minutes or so, I was like, ooh, this might be one of those games where LJ kind of sits in. We have to figure out what, how to break down a deep block, uh, or a mid block at least. And uh, eventually the game started to open up. We had some fun Vinicius moments. And personally, I was I was surprised, like I think many people were, when the starting lineup came out and Mariano was the starting striker. Uh, I think we were all kind of hoping for maybe some Jovic minutes, but Ancelotti has mentioned after the match that Jovic was dealing with some physical issues. Um, so that was the reason he didn't play a, a single minute. And you know what? Mariano, uh, he put in the effort. His effort's never in question. The energy's always there. And I thought he had some some nice moments in this match. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing in the starting lineup was there was two things, Jovic and Hazard. Those were the two that people were kind of making noise about, making a fuss over. I think a lot of people did expect Jovic to start. Um, I knew that there was a slight chance he wouldn't, and not because of necessarily that he's not better than Mariano. I, I strongly believe he is. But um, we all knew that he had kind of a niggle. I mean, he did train, and I was kind of a little bit surprised that not everyone, including the commentators on ESPN, seemed to be attuned to the fact that Jovic is not 100% healthy. This was not something necessarily new and, then, and Ancelotti confirmed after the game. I do think that one valid question that came up after he said that was, well, why is he in the squad? And I think that's a valid question. I think it's possible that he may have been there as a break-in-case-of-emergency option, like in the 75th or 80th minute, if Mariano was off the field and you were like trailing the game, maybe they would they would look at that and look at the cost-benefit analysis and say, okay, maybe for 15 minutes he can swing this. But for a, a starting gig, I, I, it seemed like his knee problem... Uh, it's a knee strain, to be honest. So I, I, that's, Ancelotti literally said knee strain. So when he says knee strain, I honestly don't even think you should be on the field at, at all. Like, there's no risk. There's no point in taking that risk. So I, I, get, the, I get the question of why is he even in the squad. But... Um, so that was one. The other one was Hazard. And I think given the fact that we now have an explanation of why Jovic wasn't on the field, the Hazard thing actually, you know, I don't... I get why people want to see Hazard. I would like to see Hazard. I would like to see him play more. But the thing with Hazard too is that, is he in better form than Rodrigo? I think the answer is no. Is he in better form than Vinicius? The answer is no. I can. I think you can definitely talk me into the mm -hmm. idea that we could see him over Asensio, but I think what Ancelotti wants from his wingers, right or wrong, whether we agree or not, is that he wants someone to run in behind. And I don't know if Hazard is that player anymore. And to be honest, Hazard is kind of like in this role now where he's like a 10, 
someone who can create, he can hold possession. He's not going to necessarily take players on. But if you're going to be a creator and hold possessions, we already have Cruz and Modric in the lineup too. And he's not going to bring any defensive awareness to the field or defensive help to the field to play that deep. So I get it. I, I don't. I honestly wasn't up in arms like other people were. I'm curious to know how you felt about it. I mean, you and I both like Jovic a lot. Uh, you in particular, I know even more so than me, will uh, will at least cover Jovic. Like you'll write about Jovic more than I will, and kind of just display and present like what he brings to the table. The dragging defenders around. A lot of a lot of the goals that we score when he's on the field are a lot of it will come down to his off-ball movement and where he's going. So, <clears throat> so tell me, like, how much of the starting lineup bother you? Um, and did you did you really like make a fuss over it at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm. My mic just plugged. We lost Matt. Matt is getting emotional over the starting lineup. Yeah, so I'm probably one of the choking few. up. Can you hear me? Can You're you? good. You're good. You're back. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm probably one of the few people still uh, pushing along on the on the Jovic. Uh, I guess you could call it hype train. And <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I I really believe if he he gets an opportunity, he can get a run of games together. Like he'll show his quality. But um, just in terms of starting lineup, like I think with Hazard, the other option you mentioned there, like the only thing maybe he could have he we could have seen him was in a false nine role. He's played that role a number of times for Chelsea. Um, and given his new kind of limitations physically, maybe that's the best spot for him, especially when Benzema's out. So it, it'd be curious to see him in that role, actually, with flanked by guys like Vinicius and Rodrigo, who could who could make the runs in behind. So um, maybe that's the maybe that's the other thing people were were looking for or potentially looking for on the starting lineup. Everything else, I mean, I, I think it was pretty much what we expected. Maybe Marcelo's the other big surprise. Um, he played he played well for his 20 minutes against Osasuna, but that was like the perfect environment for Marcelo to play in because we're going for a goal. There's we we're pressing really high to win the ball back. Osasuna's in a deep deep block. They're not going to really maybe they'll have one or two counterattacks, but it's enough for Militao and Alaba to kind of sniff out and handle, so he can just focus on serving in world world class crosses, which is what he does best. And uh, so I thought the Osasuna game was like tailor-made for his characteristics. Then you come to this match and you're starting Marcelo. So I was a little worried about that, but I thought um, overall he wasn't poor. I mean, I don't think he, I don't think Elche really exploited him too much. And he always, despite his own physical limitations, we talk about Hazard's physical limitations, but Marcelo now has that as well. And he still shows his class technically every time he's on the, on the pitch. I don't, I don't hate the false nine role for Hazard at all in, in a game like this, to be honest. Um, if you think about it, you know, Mariano, look, 28 touches in this game. I don't think he was that influential. Obviously, we'll all point to his assist for Vinicius, which I thought was great. If you put Hazard in that same situation, that, that flick is Hazard's bread and butter, so I'm not going to sit here and say that Hazard couldn't have done that either. Um, if you look at kind of the way Ramjic played in this game, offensively, a lot of it was just trying to... I mean, it's kind of weird that we're sitting here and having this discussion where Real Madrid play mid-block and they're not really controlling the game in the opponent's third and they're kind of sitting and hoping to hit them on the counter. But here we are talking about it like that. Um, but it's not like they use this, Mari, this Mariano as this crossing target where they're just 
just shoehorning crosses into him over and over and over again. There wasn't that many crosses in this game. In fact, if you look at it, Lucas Vasquez, three crosses in 64 minutes, Cruz, three in 90, Carvajal, three in 64, then Marcelo and Asensio had a couple off the bench. We did not cross that game. And this is like the, just this is the funny thing about Real Madrid is like anytime you have a presence like Mariano or Jovic in the box, we stop crossing. We start to play this counterattacking scheme. So for that reason, I don't, I don't see why Hazard as a false nine in this game couldn't have worked, right? Um, what, like, what did you think of Mariano's performance? Because I saw a lot of people feel like he was he had a good game. I know Carlo Ancelotti said he had a good game. I don't think he had a terrible game. I don't think he was also that great either. I'm not sure exactly what he brought to the table. I will say, if he had converted that chance where he does the like the fake shot and then the shoulder drop around the keeper and then misses from that acute angle. If that goes in, I'm talking about this really differently because that would have been a brilliant goal. That was almost a perfect goal for me, uh, but he missed that. But, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I don't I don't really know why you couldn't have played Hazard in a false nine role given given the way that Real Madrid played in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dis- disagree with that, Kian. I mean, I think he was fine. I don't think he was, like, exceptional. I think the assist, the back heel assist, was a bit of magic and... Um, he deserves credit there for, for pulling that off. And, um, but he like, kind of like Jovic has been in a lot, a lot of his games for Real Madrid. I felt like Mariano was a little bit isolated from the rest of the team. He only had 28 touches in this match to put that in perspective. Courtois had 24 touches and Rodrigo who only played 17 minutes had about half as many touches, uh, as Mariano who played the full 90. So, um, he just wasn't that connected to the rest of the team. And even like you never really saw him link up with anyone. He was more just hounding defenders, uh, doing crazy acrobatic jumps and flips, which we, we've grown accustomed to with Mariano. Just used to seeing his body. Con- his body just basically contorts in like five different directions. Yeah. It's crazy. I I really think that's half the reason why he gets injured so much because he just goes like 120 percent no matter what. And he never slows down. And so and he'll put his body on the line like. That's something to that's something to be said about his character and his effort. Like I always admire that, but at the same time, like he, he's just he's killing himself. Like he, he's not gonna he's never. I don't think he could ever play twenty games like consistently like that. It's just nobody can. It's it's too much. Um, but he, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think he was fine. Like that one chance you mentioned where he did kind of the step over, beat Casilla, and then his final touch kind of. That's what screwed him over. Was he took a, a big final touch and closed down his own angle, so he couldn't he couldn't score that goal. But if he scored that goal, we're talking about a, a Mariano start first start in five months where he scores a goal and has an assist. So despite his despite his difficulties in connecting with his teammates and the touches, I mean, he did what was required of him for for this match at least for a match against Elche. And that's what we've been saying about these backup strikers. Like if they're not going to play against Elche and some of these other squads, when are they going to play? And so at least one of them got to play today, and he did have some end product. He had an assist. Yeah, and I think that's the case for Marcelo in a game like this, too. I will say, the situation that Marcelo came on last game against Osasuna suited him way more than the starting position here today against Elche. Um, but but like you have to also look at the fact that, one, he's coming off of a good game, and... Again, this is the argument. If you can't play him against Elche, who can you play him against? I mean, 
to be quite honest, I think last season and probably this season too, he's at a point where he 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 reached such a low point with his performances that you actually can't afford to play him in some games like this, even against Elche. And um, and you have to seriously think about like, would Miguel have been a better option? Marcelo in this game didn't do anything offensively. He had a, he had three crosses again. I think I noted or two, and one of them was really nice. Um, he also, I felt, forced too many passes into Vinicius down the flank. Like, like not good passes, but really, really forced passes where the passing lanes were closed and it was not a good option. Um, and also, I think defensively, he, he struggled. I mean, if you look at this game, I was really underwhelmed by this Real performance. And on one hand, underwhelmed. And on the, sec- on the other hand, thankful that we have... Vinicius playing at this level to bail us out because this is basically 17, 18, you're thinking about Real Madrid playing so many bad games in the league um, and getting bailed out by Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm not going to sit here and say Vinicius is Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously, but we're getting right now, we're getting superstar production outperforming low XG chances, and that's what we're getting with Vinicius right now. And obviously Benzema was when he's on the field too. But I, I actually was really unimpressed with the way we played. I did not think our mid-block was efficient defensively. I thought they had a lot of holes. I thought Modric and Cruz uncharacteristically left a lot of passing lanes open behind them. I thought Marcelo was not in the picture half the time or just jogging back. And that put a lot of onus on Alaba and Casemiro, who for that reason, they both had good games defensively, I thought when Elche were, were getting space in that half space between Marcelo and Alaba. And those two were coming over to cover quite well. <clears throat> uh, and Elche's, Elche had a pretty good game. I mean, I, I, and I thought they, they, they did okay defensively in their, with their high line. But offensively, I thought they, were, they gave us a lot of problems. So what did you think about our defense and what is it that we struggled with and what could we have done better? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been what I've been looking for after the Shakhtar and Barcelona games were was whether or not we would go back to kind of all out pressing, and we haven't really. I mean, there's been moments in each of the last two games, Osasuna, and even today versus Elche, um, but even for today, like it was just maybe one or two really uh, high pressing moments where we were, we were pushing the whole team forward. Everybody was actively engaged. For the most part, we again sat back in in a, a mid block and just allowed the opposition to have the ball until they entered the final third of the pitch, and that's when we started to apply more pressure onto the ball. And it's it's been working for us because it, it creates transition opportunities, and that's where a guy like Vinicius thrives. But I, I, I found it. I just I'm wondering, like, is this is Carlo really gonna pull back? Is uh, Sid's Sid's um, prophecy, his his um, prediction for the remainder of the season, where he said he thought Carlo was just gonna pull back? Is that gonna come true? And given Carlo's post match comments, where he said, like, we just didn't have enough time to recover from this match versus the Wednesday match. It was only two and a half days. Um, that signals to me that like he's still thinking about pressing. It's just the team's not um, didn't have enough recovery time to actually be able to execute that type of game plan. So we'll see. I'm still. I think the jury's still out on whether that will happen. But I honestly like just from a defensive solidity standpoint, we we play so much better <laughs> in a 
in a mid block. Our players are way more comfortable. We don't get carved so easily. I think my one big issue, and you saw this a lot in the second half, is now that Cruz is back in the side, the on-ball responsibilities of Casemiro are uh, are less prevalent. And so now Casemiro is playing almost like he did with Zidane, where he kind of just goes roaming and tries to find spots where he doesn't get in the way, basically. And you don't want him in that uh, in our buildup in the defensive third because of exactly what happened on uh, Elche's goal in, in the 85th minute. But the the counter to that is now he's out of position when we lose the ball. And there were a couple of times where Cruz did lose the ball and both Casemiro and Modric were playing in higher positions, waiting to receive the ball between the lines. And we had literally no midfield, so Elche could just transition quickly, and that's how they created a couple of their big opportunities. So for me, that's where that's where I get concerned going forward. Is like, man, it's it's so hard to to build a system around Casemiro and Cruz because you want Cruz deep on the ball, build up play, but then you need options further forward, and you need Casemiro out of the way. But then he's out of position when you lose the ball. So it's. It's a double-edged sword, and I think how Carlo manages that is going to be interesting. Right now, he's kind of reverting to Zidane tactics. Well, the ironic thing is that the first goal we scored came off of a really good pressing sequence where everyone hit their rotations really well. Everyone was in sync. They congested that side of the field. It eliminated the switching ability of Elche, and Elche make a pass out of the back that has no hope and no prayer. Casemiro intercepts it, plays a beautiful one-touch pass to Mariano, and then Vinicius scores. And by the way, this is another classic example of Vinicius. Last season, you put him in that position, he's probably just going to panic shoot that somewhere. And I don't, I don't know what happens, but he just he'll put his foot through it. And I don't think it's as wit, as nearly as calculated as that moment. But I also do think that Elche, like we didn't press that much, obviously, and it's so it's very easy to kind of go through the game and and see like our sporadic pressing every time it happened and. I would argue that Elche just missed the open pass and we didn't press that well. And the Casemiro thing is like, man, I, I just don't understand. He's such an enigma. We've talked about this so many times over the years. And it, if we just keep it specific to this game. I, I, I tweeted about this and, and maybe I should have been more careful about my jinxing powers, but like... He can like there was one pass he had in this game in the first half where again he's like kind of falling and he's with his left foot and he gets that at his feet with plays a beautiful leading leading ball in transition to Rodrigo. I swear to God, he is better at making the pass from 40 yards out, falling on his ass, being pushed down on the field, and using his left foot and switching it over a vast space than he is at just making the simple three yard pass. And and you kind of see the the way he gave up the the goal at the end. Like that's not he just he doesn't even look. He just kind of just hits it for some reason and without even calculating anything, without even looking to see who's open, is really the the switch to the right side the best option? Should I take a chill pill? Should I just take a touch and just look around? Should I just control it like maybe Cruz does for once and just take it easy? He just puts his foot through it for no reason without even really thinking about it. And that's something that he's been doing for years. And that's just part of his game. I don't think he'll ever get rid of that part of his game. Because now he's in his late 20s, is he not? How old is he? Um, it's not just going to magically solve itself. 28. Ooh, 28. So, 29 actually. Um, so that's just part of his game. And, and then, 
just when you and then you're like okay so in this game I actually thought he was awesome by the way Matt I actually thought he was genuinely really good defensively he was really good and offensively he had the, the hockey assist he had some other good passes in transition but then he gives away the goal and you're like oh this is classic Casemiro and then at the end he has this flying crucial 95th minute challenge when Asensio misses a defensive assignment on the on the right wing he comes over in the 95th just when Elche were about to get a cross in for the last play of the game and plays and has a brilliant slide tackle. So I just look at all of this and I'm just like scratching my head and I'm like, okay, so this is a game where I think even though he gave up a goal, he also helped create a goal and saved a bunch of goals. I guess the net ben- the cost benefit analysis is, that, is positive. Um, in other games against Chelsea, Ajax, Manchester City, not so much. Um, so... I don't know, this is the long-winded way of saying, I'm looking at this midfield. I thought Modric looked super gassed today. I barely noticed him in this game until like late in the first half when he got that ball in the box from Asensio and just and just miscontrolled it. I thought he missed some passing lane defensive assignments that he normally is. That, that's literally his bread and butter. He hasn't played that much this season because I was going to say maybe he's tired. But I did feel like maybe like there, you're going to have games like this from an older Modric who... Sometimes he just needs to sit down a little bit. And I thought for that reason, I actually would have looked at Camavinga a little bit sooner than, than Carlo did. Um, so I don't know if it would have been for Casemiro to start or Mordrich somewhere in the middle. But uh, I think I like, I like to see a little bit more of Camavinga in a game like this and a little bit sooner, especially with Fede out. Yeah, I mean, I I was just surprised by Mordrich's positioning off the ball because... Uh, especially in the first half, like if you look where Cruz was versus where Modric was, like on the ball, Modric was really, really high. He was almost like alongside Mariano. And so I don't know if that was, I mean, I'm assuming that's a tactic employed by Ancelotti and was what he was looking for in this game. But I think it limited Modric's involvement. I felt like in the second half, he he got on the ball more and he obviously had uh, the, the beautiful through ball to Vinicius on the second goal. So that was his assist. Um but yeah, other than that, like I didn't think this was like Modric from last year. I mean, think about it, all of his all of his performances last year. He, Courtois, Cruz, Benzema, they carried the team last year, like literally put it on their back. And I think we've only had a few of those type of Modric performances so far this season. I don't think he's been quite at that level, but I don't think he's dipped like dramatically or anything like that, or he's showing us a major decline like he did in the twenty eighteen season. I just think he's kind of Right now he's leveled out. Maybe he's he apparently he had some physical issues on Wednesday and that's why he didn't play. So maybe he was just being a little bit conservative conservative with that with that uh injury, potential injury. But um I wanted to mention because we were obviously talking about Casemiro and maybe we stay on the on the line with the Brazilians. Like Vinicius obviously we'll get to him, but Militao, I mean, I thought he was mm. Probably my man of the match alongside Vinicius in this game. I just, I thought he completely shut down Boye. And Boye always plays really well against us. Like, I, I don't watch LJ often, but like every time he, we, we play against him, I think he's like one of LJ's standouts and always kind of gives our back line a tough time. And I thought Alaba struggled with him more so than Militao did. Like, every, Militao's tackles were clean. He had that one standing tackle on Boye where he literally just puts his foot out and wins the ball. Um, he His long ball distribution, he had a couple big diagonal switches to Vinicius, a one uh, long direct ball to Rodrigo in like the 10th minute. 
all of that. I, I thought he was fantastic, and that, that goes off the perform a good performance against Osasuna. I think he's he's finally starting to uh, get back into the form we saw last season after a slow start to the season, and so I hope he can just keep this up because it was really encouraging to see that from Militao. So last post-game podcast, which you weren't there, Om and I were, you know, we spent a good chunk of time breaking down the game as we do. And at the end, we were kind of joking, like, I wonder what we forgot about. And after we hung up the call, I remembered we forgot to have a Militao segment because I think he's been awesome, like, for for a few games now. I had to look back on the schedule where I really felt like where it started. I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. But it's been constantly now, if I go through my notes, it's all been good Militao stuff. I think one of the one of the things is... You know, even that time, Matt, at the beginning of the season where, remember all those defensive gambles, like Nacho had a famous, a couple famous ones where he just runs out of the back and we just get carved and there's no coverage for him. I felt like that was happening from quite a few players this season, the aggressiveness from like one player deciding to do that. But I thought Militao was one of the constants where he was actually getting the timings right and his step-up interventions were really good. And it's... Yeah, I've been really impressed with him. Like, if I if I had to say, like, I had a lot of praise for Alaba and Casemiro from a defensive perspective on the left side, and maybe that's because they were tested more. But Militao also had a lot of important interventions, and also had an epic challenge on Boye in the box in the 60th minute, and also had to deal with Asensio on that side too. So, um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Militao. Very good for a while now. Um, you mentioned a few things there that I wanted to touch on, but um, I guess I'd like to I'd like to talk about Vinicius because you know, given the fact that he scores in the twenty seventh minute, um, one of the things that Carlos said after the game was that he was talking about Vinicius' performance and he was saying that uh, Vinicius is doing really good things now from a different position, so. The quote he said was, uh, quote, is, he's getting used to playing on the inside because he has the quality to do it. One thing is to play one versus one on the wing and another in the area, end quote. And that's, I'm, I'm kind of just glad he said that because I actually feel like that's something that, you know, I've noticed too in the past few games. He provides, a, he drops into the left half space off the ball and provides a really good outlet. So against Osasuna, he provided that for both Mendy and Marcelo. In this game, also for both, really, um, but mostly for Marcelo. And he just provides the outlet, and he gets the ball there. And when he gets the ball there, he's in a very tight situation because there's like two or three players ready to converge on him. And he's gotten out of that situation really well every time. Um, so I'm just wondering if that's something you notice. Like, is there a, like the obvious new wrinkle to his game is that he's finishing? But is there like a more holistic maturity you see to him, like more composure, a coolness in and around the area that, like, I think that was you that asked on Twitter, like, is this the biggest leap we've seen in terms of just finishing ability? I'm just kind of, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really blown away but at, at how far he's come over the, literally since over the summer. Forget the finishing, like, his decision-making overall in general is just so far ahead to where it was even just last season. I mean, he's he's taking this intelligent right decision time and time again. And when he's in those half spaces, uh, he'll sometimes have two defenders barreling down on him. He just takes one or two touches, combines with somebody, and then recycles his run and moves out to the wing. 
And that's exactly what you would want from him in that position. And I think it adds a whole new dynamic to him because then he's not just, oh, get Vinicius isolated 1v1 on the wing. Then he can add this whole new um, profile to his game, which kind of varies things up, switch things up, keeps defenders guessing. And uh, I think it's only going to make him more dangerous. So if he can continue to add this element, oh, man, it's... He really, he really, really and truly is turning into one of the world's best attackers. Like it's not outlandish to say that, and I think his again, like I don't know. There's a couple things that I would like attribute to to the rapid change in his finishing fortune. Um, obviously, I wrote that article earlier in the year, kind of pointing out some of the things that changed. But I think the other big thing too is just the confidence and peace of mind he has now that he's a consistent starter. And so he doesn't have to worry if he makes one, two, three, four mistakes in a game. He's not worried that he's going to be yanked out or that he's not going to play for a couple games and be out of the rotation. Right. He knows now that he's a starter week in and week out, game after game, and that he's important. And so to feel that and to know that like makes a world of difference, especially for a player in his position. We know attackers thrive on just having confidence. And I think... That's a huge part of it. I, I don't think we can understate that. And then the second thing, I'll point it out time and time again, because yes, he kind of disproved this theory with that one wonder goal against Shakhtar. But for the most part, almost all his, all his goals that he scored inside the box have been two-touch. And that was the same for today. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's continuing to kind of prove Carlo's simple, simple statement right and it really is a great working theory. And I think the second goal, that little deft chip that we've seen him do a couple times this season already. I mean, it's pure samba. It's pure, like purely Brazilian from the from the beaches in Brazil. And he's so naturally like that's just feels like a natural finish for Vinicius. And I think that's something he can continue to do like consistently. It's not it's a tough X from an XG perspective. Like that's a tough shot and a tough angle. But I think that's something that Vinicius can consistently pull off. So the second goal, it's uh, I mean it's it's kind of a shame because I feel like the build up to that goal was so beautiful that that's going to get lost a little bit because Kroos really go. I think it was a no, it wasn't one touch. Modric was one, was one touch. So Kroos plays that really beautiful vertical pass to Modric, and then Modric with one touch, the through ball is it's perfectly weighted. So the up until that point, it's already great. But then, what Vinicius does from there, I, I thought the play was lost. Because I'm like, he should have squared it earlier. He, his touch was too heavy. Mariano was in the six-yard box. I thought that was a, that's, that was the clear, obvious path. But <clears throat> he holds it, and he, he takes that what seems like a heavy touch, but he sucks in the goalkeeper when he does that, and he just flicks it over him. And it reminded me of Ronaldinho, like the way Ronaldinho would use the guy, the outlet guy in the box as a decoy, and then go past his man and then just flick it over the goalkeeper. That takes a lot of confidence and balls to pull that off. And I think that's one, you know, that's kind of like the main thing I've been impressed with is that it did, it's not really, it doesn't seem like a gradual improvement. It's just like overnight he just arrived the season. He was ready to go to, go, go to a completely different level. And it just proves that the finishing thing, it was a mental aspect. It was not a technical deficiency. He did not have technical issues. He did not, he did not yeah. need more yeah. sk- finishing skill. He just needed to be stay cool and stay composed. Like, that's all it was. 
and that's that's what it took. So uh, I I like this because it reminds me of you know in years past if we were playing bad and I with all due respect to Real Madrid today I thought we were kind of bad and you need players like that. That's essentially why you need players like him and why we've been asking for superstars is because we just haven't had our tactics down for so long and you kind of need players to transcend it and uh, and that's that's what we need from Vinicius right now and that's what we're getting. So. I, I think, and I mean, yeah. Well, without Benzema there too, like that's the other thing. He he took on that responsibility and that mantle without Benzema there. So that's I really think that's huge because we were gonna look like you look at that forward line, especially when Rodrigo came out, like Asensio, Mariano, Vinicius last year. I think if that was our forward line, everyone would have been like, oh my god, where are the goals yeah. gonna come from? But Vinicius has stepped up to the mantle. And when I you mentioned that tweet I had, like, has anyone ever um, developed and improved their finishing like this quickly? Some of the names that people brought up, and I'm interested to see your take if you either agree with some of these or, or think Vinicius is, is is more dramatic. So some of the names that people brought up were um, Raheem Sterling, Mohamed Salah, and Cristiano Ronaldo. I think they're all great shots. Uh... The one I would have added to that list too is uh, Iguain, uh, because Iguain literally could not do anything in front of goal when he first arrived at Real Madrid. That was like literally his weak point, and then he just became. Yeah, an that's assassin. a good shout. That's uh, a good shout. So I can't think of any more. I mean, you already gave me more names than I thought I was going to get. So, <laughs> uh, but Iguain from. After the 2007-2008 season and then coming into 2008-2009, that was a huge, massive leap. That was a massive leap. Um, Mohamed Salah, like, I think everyone knows this by now and everyone, most people feel the same way. We kind of knew he was good at Roma, but what he did at Liverpool, the leap from 16-17 to 17-18 with him was absolutely insane. Um, Ronaldo was always like a good player. Like, even when he wasn't scoring. Uh, but certainly, I don't think anyone knew that he was going to turn into that. So, yeah. what was the one? So, at Manchester United, 2005-2006, 47 appearances, 12 goals. The next season, he does 53 appearances and 23 goals. That's a, that's a big jump. And then after that, he's, he just goes to his 40, 40, 50 goals per year kind of thing. Um, and Sterling... Sterling... Yeah, after 16-17, he kind of had the Salah a little bit, the Salah time range where 17-18, he took a big big leap. Um, so how dramatic do you think this Vinicius one is now? So he's already at eight goals, is it? Uh, no, I think it's nine. Is it nine? I think it's nine. Nine goals, five assists, I think. And two penalties he's drawn as well. So... I mean that's that's incredible and in production. I don't know if he can keep this up. I mean, if you remember at the start of the season, I was like, I'll, I think he's on track to get double digit goals, and you were like, oh yeah, no, he'll hit that, no problem. And I just thought he may regress to the mean a little bit, but it's end of October. He's nearly at ten goals, so he's gonna blow that out of the water. I think now the estimate is fifteen to twenty, and uh, can he even surpass that? And if he does that in this season. Like the expectations for the following season are, are going to be huge, and he's got to be able to make sure that, like Cristiano did, and some of these other players that we just mentioned, like just make sure that that remains consistent. And I think it will because for Vinicius, the 
the XG per game like has always been there. It's just the goals never have. And so now that he has the composure and the confidence to finish those chances off, maybe he'll regress a little bit. But I think for the most part, he'll still bag like at least 10 goals a season just because 10 to 15, just because he puts himself in those positions. He gets the dangerous opportunities. And when you do that, as long as you get yourself into the spots, like the goals will come. And so I, I think this is something that we can like we can raise our expectations of Vinicius now and and trust that he, he should and can deliver. If he um, if he gets 15 to 20 and I mean, not to simplify it a little this to this degree, but it's just it's just an, just a quick observation. We were, if we if we had fifteen to twenty goals last season, in addition to what Benzema was doing, we would have won the league. If if he scores fifteen to twenty goals this season, in addition to what Benzema was doing, it may come down to that. Like that's given the strength of the league. That is like you know maybe in like yeah. a, if you put this three hundred team in two thousand anywhere from two thousand nine to like it's eighteen, probably not. But just given where the fact we are now. I feel like if you get 15 to 20 from Vinicius, in addition to Benzema continues what he's doing now, you it's hard to just based on that math alone. You get that many additional goals in like that's what we were missing. We were missing help for Benzema. Yeah. Um, yep. Now to be to play kind of like a spoiled cat here. Outside of those two, where where are we getting goals from? I don't know. I don't really believe in the Asensio hat trick that happened. To be quite honest. Um, and if you listen, this is kind of shocking. Without looking, if you had to guess who has our highest XG after Benzema and Vinicius this season, who do you think it is? Well, given that you're talking about him, is it Asensio? No. Um, uh, is it like a wild, wild yes, guess? Yes, it's an insane... Militao? Yeah. Militao... At, set pieces, I bet. Yeah, Militao, one point. I mean, he's been getting on a lot of, in the end of headers, but he's at 1.9, and that's our third highest in the XG. So if you told me that, like, 13 games into the season, I think we are now all competitions, that if you told me that but at the beginning of the season, that our ex- third XG, highest XG, 1.9 Militao, I'd be like, so that means Hazard did not take any leaps. And Asensio did not take any leaps, and and maybe Rodrigo's injured or something. That I I would be worried if he give, if he told me that number. Yeah, I but, mean, can we? Yeah, but Vinicius can, has been taking it to a whole yeah. different level. Yeah. Um, all right. Can we talk about Asensio? I think I think that's a good yeah. uh, transition because, um, well, first off, I thought Rodrigo was actually playing really well, and he was probably one of the few players that started the match kind of with with the right energy, uh, making things happen, taking his defenders on. He had that one long-distance shot, which kind of came out of nowhere and uh, was actually a really, really strong opportunity. Um, and I just thought he was playing well, looked good, and then, of course, the injury happens. And Asensio comes on, and honestly, for large stretches of this game, I didn't even know Asensio was playing. Like, it's just, he, I, I don't know, it's so frustrating. I, I We... I just I know I've mentioned it before, so I don't want to repeat myself too much on the podcast. But I just feel like he fits one certain type of system, and Real Madrid is never going to play that system for him, and so he just doesn't fit into our team. It's we have a a large enough sample size now to say like I I don't think Asensio, unless there's another radical turnaround, like you can never rule it out. But I just don't see how he fits into the future of this team. 
I I kind of gave up on Asensio a while ago, and it's not that it, it's mostly just because he is a situational player. He is someone that is suited if the game is open and there is space. But I don't think he can readapt and reinvent himself in a meaningful way because if if he does. It just means he, he can play in central midfield and help us hold the ball. But there's so many other players in the team that can already do that and are better defensively. And I just don't see what, what he really brings to the table over so many other players in the squad already. But you bring him on and you know against Barca, and Barca are chasing the game, and they're playing at the halfway line. That's a great situation for him. But I, like, I don't... And I get why he's the first sub off the bench for Rodrigo in this game because that's how Elche were kind of that's the space that we were trying to exploit. Um, but you know, I that's why I wasn't too hyped about the hat trick to be honest. I I thought I think we'll see more Asensio games. I see I, I I predict we'll see two more games like that this season where we will see Asensio just remind us of of false hope, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I, and the thing is, with I don't I don't notice him on the field like you. That's the thing. Like I can I notice yeah. Vinicius. I don't notice Asensio. Yeah, I mean I I'm going through my notes and I really I don't have anything on Asensio. And the, the, the I only I, have defensive think, notes and they're not positive. Apart from <laughs> one where I think the 51st minute he had a good good defensive sequence, but other than that, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in fairness to him, like to give him some reprieve from the criticism here. I think our right side, we just really didn't attack down the right very often. I thought Lucas Vasquez was, was quiet today. We already mentioned Modric. Um, and so just the right side, there wasn't much happening. Uh, Carvajal came on. I didn't think he had some weird touches and some heavy touches. Still looks like the rust is there. I thought that after the Osasuna match as well, like he's yeah. definitely, he's definitely coming back from this injury a little rusty. So it's just that that right flank continues to be our a weakness for Real Madrid, and it's been that way for how many seasons now? Uh, yeah. I think I've liked Rodrigo on the right. I think he's been a good impact, but hopefully this injury is not too serious. Um, where where do we go from here? I mean, I actually, I just looked at the clock and I realized we're way over time that we were going to allocate for today. But um, what do we miss? Um, I mean, I think. Thibaut Courtois had a couple big saves. That one on um, El- LJ had a counterattack. It was en- that ended with a Lucas Boyer shot, mm-hmm. and I thought uh, Thibaut came-, came up pretty quick for both uh, that that opportunity and an- another one in the second half. So credit to him. Um, David Alaba I thought was was solid in this game. Not as good as Eder Militao, but it was a solid game from him. And that that pair has really come is starting to form the chemistry in the last few matches, especially. Um, and then I don't know if we talked about Tony Cruz to, that much, but I thought Cruz was just once again, great. Uh, most touches on the field, 97% accuracy uh, passes, three key, three key passes in this game. I don't really think he was at fault for that uh, play at the end of the game where Elche scored. I, I think we can attribute that mostly to Casemiro. Um, and I just, I thought it's been, it's so nice to have Cruz back in the lineup. 10 of 12 long balls too, which he basically walks into every game. Um, with, from, from the Alche perspective, I like Lucas Boye. I like what he brought to the table. I thought he, he gave us a lot of problems. 
I always liked Raul Guti, not only because of his name, but just because he's he's like this just young player who's like youngish player who I feel like is just going to be a good La Liga player for his whole career. And he has that like nice, really baseline. He knows how to play. He's this really solid midfielder, two-way presence. Uh, Lucas Perez got into a bunch of awesome positions offensively, but just couldn't score. He obviously had that one where it starts with Lucas Boye picking Alaba's pocket. And then Pastore plays that really nice back flick to Lucas Perez. That was their biggest chance, actually. Um, and he's just at the side of the six-yard box, and I believe it goes just wide. So that, I mean, they had, Fidel was, Fidel gave Lucas Vasquez problems on that side. Uh, Mojica is, is uh, you know, is the player we know pretty well from his Sporting Gijon days, and, you know, he's a good, good, good left-sided attacker. Um, I thought, you, um, Palacios actually defended Vinicius pretty well for a large part of the game. But this, again, this is kind of like that superstar factor. Even when you're not having the greatest of games or struggling against a defender and you still make the impact and still score two goals, I think that tells you everything. Like Vinicius, this is how far he's come. Because I did think Palacios defended him really well. And Vinicius attempted, I think it was seven, yeah, seven dribbles and only completed three in this match. So he, he a lot of times Lucas Perez and Palacios doubled down on him and so Rocco would come over as well. Like teams are starting to figure out that they need to bring as many defenders over to close down Vinicius' space as possible, but he still gets through it. And to have that confidence and to still make a dramatic impact on the game, like I'm just I'm so happy with Vinicius and I I don't want to jinx it, and I know that he—he, he, I mean, we all know there's going to be performances where he dips and he regresses to the mean. But as long as he can consistently kind of be an X factor and be a guy that's making a difference in the final third, um, and just keep that over the course of the season, then he's—he's he's going to be well on his way to becoming one of the best players in the world. I uh, just want to say I made a mistake that uh, Mojica played for Girona, uh, right? Girona, not Sporting yeah. I think the red and white messy up. Um, <laughs> so, what did what did you think about Raúl Guti's red card? I thought it was fair. Um, it was it was a rash tackle on the second one. Like ESPN kept showing the replay over again. The commentators were like, "Oh, he maybe got the ball," but it was a little bit hard to tell, for, even though from all it the was. different angles they they showed. And I still think like it didn't look clear to me that he got the ball and to. It was a needless tackle, especially if you're on a yellow card. And so I think I think it was probably right. And Cruz, Raul Guti definitely, like, that was in my notes in the first half. was like, oh, the battle of Raul Guti versus Cruz. And Cruz definitely won that battle. Uh, Raul Guti fouled him both times. It, the yellow cards came from fouling Cruz. And so... Um, I just thought like that that there were little battles all across the pitch like Palacios, Vinicius, Mojica, Rodrigo before he came off, Boye, Militao, and we won all those individual battles for the most part. And so when you do that, it it goes a long way in helping you win the game. Uh, I thought it was like one of it, you're right. It was hard to tell, but one of the replays I thought showed that he was just late, and I think it was. You know, it wasn't a direct red. It was a second yellow, and I think that's completely fair because he was a little bit late, and it was dangerous, and I'm, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, and and I will say, like, after the red card, because Elche were playing in a 4-5-1 block to begin with, after the red card, it turned into a 4-4-1 block, and 
it basically just came to a point where Real Madrid always had an extra man in midfield because of that, like as a passing outlet. And even still, I thought they they really struggled to close the game. And and I would it was I was like I think the red card made it even extra disappointing to me. But maybe I shouldn't be so upset because like obviously we won. And it's just one of those games you get the three points, get the hell out of there, and and on to the next one. So I guess I'm okay with that. Um, the uh, the XG from this match was Elche 1.15, Real Madrid 1.61. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I mean Elche had. A, a few opportunities that were, were decent. I think it was a little bit closer than I expected. Um, is, I mean, was that what you were thinking when you hearing the XG? I mean, when I, I wasn't surprised when I saw the XG. Because I, I, I just... And well, you thing, said it. I mean, this wasn't a great Real Madrid performance. Let's be honest. Also, I just felt like they got into good positions without shooting it, which won't show up on the XG chart. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the ones that really made it bigger for them was that Lucas Perez chance just outside the six-yard box, which was huge. Um, I think we're going to wrap it here, Matt. So yeah. we'll be back on... Well, Las Blancas will be back. So uh, Real Madrid Feminino return from the international break. They play against Valencia tomorrow morning. So stick around tomorrow for that. I'm not sure if that's going to go on for the free RSS feed or the Patreon RSS feed, but you should wake up and watch that as well because it's a, you know, they're a ton of fun to watch. I'll certainly be watching it. And also, um, we'll also be back on Tuesday over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid to do a loan tracker. And somewhere in between Castilla corner, I think got to record something for Castilla's win, uh, yesterday where Peter scored another brace. So, um, you know, a lot of content coming your way. And also make sure to book your tickets to the podcasts that are happening all around the world at a city near you. Matt, thank you. Enjoy your Halloween weekend. Although I saw you yesterday, you were were you Austin Powers? Is that what you were? I was. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad yeah. I got that reference. As one of my favorite characters <laughs> growing up was Austin Powers. It's like really, yeah. Very few movies had me had me laughing like belly laughter growing up. And Austin, especially Goldmember, that was the peak. Gold member yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So, happy Halloween, everyone. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you, Kian. Take care. All right. Before we let you guys go, I wanted to give a shout out to our ten dollar plus patrons and shout out to all of our patrons. But the ten dollar patrons get a specific shout out on the podcast. So, shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Perrin, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon. Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shabaz Sharapov, Santos Solorzano, Said Mahad, Shivam Tiwari, Shamil, uh, Sad Omar, Robi Tahiev, Rishi D, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potlery, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero, Zubiare, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Savernakis, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Pantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toff, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Varun, and Fabian Moreno. We love you guys so much. Take care, have a great weekend, happy Halloween, and Alamari.